What's going on, everyone, and welcome to an Eastern Conference Finals edition of Bucking the Trend podcast. I'm Andrew Goodman, co-hosting, as always, with Dylan Piccolo, and with the Milwaukee Bucks set to take on the Toronto Raptors in the Eastern Conference Finals. We thought it was fitting to get someone from the enemy line, so we invited Samson Folk of Raptors Republic. You can catch his stuff over there. Great recaps and podcasts as well. Samson, thanks for taking the time to join us today. Yeah, no problem. Uh, thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited to talk about it. So the Milwaukee Bucks went 3-1 and one against the Toronto Raptors in the regular season. They had one game where Giannis Antetokounmpo and Kawhi Leonard both sat out in a Bucks victory. And we actually have not seen the Toronto Raptors since you guys acquired Mark and we got Paul Mirage. So the 3-1 record in the regular season, do you think that success, excuse me, the success for the Milwaukee Bucks is going to carry over into the playoffs? Or do you believe the Toronto Raptors are a completely different team with the addition of Marcus Gasol? Well, there's two things off the start there. There's one thing is I do think that the Bucks' success will carry over regardless of what the Raptors look like. But the Raptors are indeed a very different team just based on how they play. The Everything from just how they look for shots to how they defend changed when Marcus All came along and took over the starting center position. The only thing that is a big holdover, I think, is the Eric Bledsoe-Kyle Lowry uh, matchup. Among other things, there's the Kawhi Leonard-Giannis Antetokounmpo matchup that where when they played against each other, there were minutes that the Raptors won when Kawhi was on the floor. And then when Kawhi was off the floor, the Raptors got doused by everyone else on the Bucks. generally. Those are the two holdovers, but I think those are two of the most important matchups going into this one. So even though the team is different and they function in a different way, I think that the Bucks can still expect to have a lot of success against the Raptors unit. And it's interesting. We saw Samson have the Oh, no, Samson, ahead. how's it going? Um, yeah. <laughs> um, I was, you know, I was, I just had a question that I just couldn't hold in anymore. So I'm sorry I had to cut you off there, Andrew. But so Kawhi Leonard really, really took over in that um, semifinal series against the 76ers. Um, and we kind of saw a lack of production from the other guys around Leonard that, you know, supposedly are going to help him. Um, and, you know, Kawhi, obviously, I don't think is a facilitator as much as people kind of make him out to be. Um, how much of that do you think is going to have an effect on how the Raptors do things um, against the Bucks? Because I feel like the Bucks defense can really smother a guy if one person just tries to take over. Yeah, that's obviously a problem for the Raptors going forward against the Bucks. It's a problem they ran into repeatedly against the 76ers. The 76ers start playing a very aggressive brand of defense, cheating off of players who were reluctant to shoot. In that group of people was Marcus All, was Kyle Lowry. And then after Pascal Siakam sustained his calf injury, his balance got messed up, and then he couldn't shoot either. And then Kawhi had to go at it alone. If that is the case, I mean, the Raptors were the best three-point shooting team in the league since Marcus All's arrival. They've shot the ball pretty horrifically bad so far into the playoffs it's just deciding as far as being an analyst whether the Raptors are gonna there's gonna be a regression to the mean a return to form or if this is what the Raptors look like just a grimy defensive team that looks forward to getting you know Kawhi Leonard the ball in the half court and then scoring in transition when they have opportunities if they are stuck being that type of team the Bucks will I think that's like a four or five game, you know, win for the Bucks in this series if the Raptors are stuck being this team that's so reliant on Kawhi Leonard. 
I think that the Raptors should be a little bit more sound offensively, especially when it comes to making wide open triples. I mean, Kawhi himself missed six in a row and he missed 14 threes in a row from game four to the second half of game seven. Just a bit of variance that the three-point shot brings. You guys are Bucks fans. You know about the three-point variance. And, you know, there's it's just a lot of things are in the air. Like you said, it's the Bucks are very good at smothering a guy, especially if he tries to go it alone. If the Raptors are stuck doing that, it's really bad news for them. But there's always the upside with this Raptors team. They did it for 35 games with Marcus Gasol. If they can return to form, then this series looks a little bit more exciting than for Raptors fans, at least. And offensively, it's interesting. Both teams, with the Bucks against Boston, we saw them come out of the gates. They would be trailing the majority of the first quarter, and then they'd really put their pedal on pedal to the metal and then really take it to the Boston Celtics. The Bucks play at one of the highest paces so far in the NBA in the postseason. And then you look at Toronto, they play towards the bottom in terms of pace. Do you believe that Toronto, for them to have success, is it going to be them slowing it down, or do you believe they're going to have to play up to the pace of the Bucks in order to win? Well, something that was important for the Raptors to close out the 76ers was that they had to slow down the 76ers pace tremendously, but the Raptors, like the Bucks, are a good defensive team, and they had to look to create turnovers and start their own transition going the other way. The Raptors do definitely benefit from having the other team play slower on defense. Guys like Marcus Gasol, they're not so good when they have cross matches in transition. That's just that's not a viable option for the defense. And something that was imperative for them to do against the 76ers was to find Ben Simmons in transition, slow him down. And they were pretty good at it over the course of the series. There are a couple games, thinking of game three and game six, where Ben Simmons got loose in transition and the Raptors got blown out. The Raptors have to take the same care on defense, and especially in transition defense, to make sure that Giannis and, you know, let's say Eric Bledsoe don't run wild in transition. If they can slow those guys down, that's one thing they have to do. If they do that, then they have a couple other things they have to accomplish as far as defense goes, but that's probably the most important one. So like you said, the Bucks like to play out pace. The Raptors like to play a little bit slower. It's imperative for the Raptors to slow the Bucks down, especially in transition. Let's talk a little bit about um, slowing Giannis down because I think that's one of the biggest questions um, that uh, every team that's played Giannis so far has had. Um, now the Raptors are a little bit more equipped with the length of Siakam. Um, obviously, Kawhi Leonard from time to time can go on him. Uh, Obi, you know, OG's out, but he would have been another guy that would have been nice to have. Um, to stop Giannis. Um, do you expect it to be more of a committee job on Giannis, or do you think it's going to be uh, more just Pascal trying to limit him? I think, and, and Ibaka as well, I'd like to throw in there. Yeah, I, I think that we're going to see a committee throughout the series, of course. As far as from game to game, Nick Nurse as a coach has always praised you know fluidity and being able to go from one thing to another. In a game where, say, the Raptors have you know, Kyle Lowry's pick and roll game going well with one of Serge Ibaka or Marcus Dahl, you might see a little bit more freedom in how they're guarding Giannis. If things are tough, if the defense, if things are really getting, you know, locked up on that end, then we might see just trying to stick Kawhi on him and trying to deter anything that comes out of that. You put Kawhi on him, maybe Giannis isn't able to get as many advantages. Maybe he doesn't create as many openings for his teammates, things of that nature. 
And as we've seen, if you guys watched the Philadelphia 76ers Raptor series, the Raptors were really good at recovering after closeouts, funneling guys toward the sideline and in towards mid-range shots, things of that nature. They have to be pretty disciplined. Any team, I should say, has to be really disciplined to make Giannis's life hard because as soon as Giannis steps on the floor, he creates massive problems just by you know his size, his speed, his athleticism. The Raptors have to be really disciplined in addition to having guys who already boast the type of athletic profile that would fit a Giannis defender. Let's put that in quotations since there doesn't seem to exist a guy who can be that. But the Raptors, as far as league-wide where they rank, they, they have a pretty good stable of guys to run at Giannis. But the thing about Giannis is that he looks as unstoppable as any player I've seen in the past 25 years. So there'll be, there'll be a committee for sure. But, you know, sometimes they'll turn to one guy probably for an elongated space and time. And if things go well, they'll stick to it. And I wanted to ask you, for both teams, who do you think is the X factor and really can tip the series in favor of either team? Um, I wrote a big article at the start of the year. It's, uh, I'm very proud of it, actually. It was, I was suggesting that the Bucks would be the best team in the East because of Chris Middleton's propensity to take more three-point shots and Brooke Lopez's arrival. I don't think it's Brooke Lopez that is the X factor. I think that's Chris Middleton. There's something that is completely transformative of both the Bucks' offense, to my eye anyway, when Chris Middleton is making all of his shots. When he's on a hot streak, the tandem of Giannis and Middleton, just it looks like it's, they can't be beaten that way. As far as the Raptors, Siakam had a tough series after he was injured. And having Joel Embiid guard you is, that's pretty tough already. Joel Embiid is Defensive Player of the Year nominee. And Siakam isn't known for his prowess in the mid-range or in pull-up triples or anything like that. So his work at the rim was a little bit more difficult. Depending on who matches up with Siakam, Siakam had a terrific game one against the 76ers. He had an awesome series against the Magic, even though Jonathan Isaac and Aaron Gordon blanketed him the whole time. I don't think Siakam, even though he struggled at the towards the latter half of the 76ers series, is a guy who's bad in the playoffs. I think he's you know quite good. I don't think he'll be in the DeMar DeRozan group of guys, things of that nature, Jamal Murray as well. I think Siakam for the Raptors, very important, what he's going to bring to the offense for them and their defense, just being able to switch across the board, especially above the break to slow down the Bucks' actions. And for the Bucks, it's Chris Middleton, just because sometimes he can just go in and set a court ablaze. And I agree. I think Chris Middleton is um, one of the bigger factors in this series because, uh, you know, earlier in the season, I kind of thought that, and I still do to some extent, I think that Eric Bledsoe's their ceiling. When Eric Bledsoe is playing his best, I think that's when the Milwaukee Bucks are playing their best. But as Chris Middleton, the last couple of games has just been draining shots and these are huge momentum buckets that he's hitting too um it's been absolutely phenomenal for him to do that um but i also do think it's eric blood so i think it's important that he wins that matchup against kyle lowry and you touched on it earlier i think when you look at lowry's um i mean they're both smaller guards in a sense and both kind of stockier but you know, Bledsoe, I believe, I, I don't think I believe, I know he's stronger than Kyle Lowry. So if he can dominate that matchup, I think it'll be really hard for Toronto to, you know, 
try to help on that. And then if he's kicking it, then the whole Princeton offense pretty much is running and they're getting a good shot every time. Um, but there is one thing on Eric blood. So I do want to touch on is, you know, I really, you know, his jump shot is really inconsistent. If he would make a more, you know, considered efforts at going to the rim earlier in games, I think it would help him overall just his, um, you know, ability to get into rhythm. Cause I think, you know, if he misses a couple threes early, he checks out pretty quickly, um, not defensively, but on the offensive end of the ball. So that's the X factor in terms of the bucks. And, the X factor for the Toronto Raptors is their bench. Ever since they traded DeLon Wright and CJ Miles, um, they've really been hurting on the bench. Uh, Van Fleet had a rough, you know, beginning of the series against the 76ers, came on a little bit at the end. So if Van Fleet can get it going, um, you know, you can maybe see Toronto edging out maybe a couple more games. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bledsoe's a, a really good point. Sorry to cut you off, Andrew, but Bledsoe, more so than even his offense, Bledsoe has the capability. If I had a vote for all NBA defensive teams, he would probably make the first team for me as a guard. I think specifically in the matchup with Lowry this year, he held Lowry to 0 for 11 shooting from the floor. As far as the strength comments you had about Lowry and, and Bledsoe, Bledsoe is, rather than strength, I would describe him as explosive, where Kyle Lowry has that old man, big butt, power forward type of strength. Bledsoe has that you know, explosive jacked guy at the court that just bullies everyone and can lock, you know, lock an offensive player between his knees when he's playing defense. And what Bledsoe is able to do to stymie the Raptors offense as far as blowing up pick and rolls, completely, you know, suffocating different players at different times, whether he switches on to Danny Green at times or he's just exploding towards Fred Van Vliet or Kyle Lowry, intimidating them with his strength and athleticism. I mean, there's a lot of things that the Bucks can do to intimidate the Raptors on offense, but Bledsoe at the point of attack is is larger than life. That's why we call him Baby LeBron. Yeah, definitely. He is. Down to the six, he's got it, to be honest with you. He's all tatted up and everything. But, um, Andrew? Well, I mean, yeah, just going off that, I, I'm of a firm believer that Eric Bledsoe's muscles have muscles on themselves. And obviously – his defense can't can't be understated. He's been doing this throughout the season. He's just been locking up opposing point guards. But for me, I'm going to go in a little bit of a di- different direction for the Bucks X Factor. I'm going to go with Nikola Mirotic, who just announced that he's going to be starting game one. Again, have Malcolm Brogdon off the bench. And offensively, if he can hit shots quick off the catch and shoot, it's obviously going to be great for the Bucks to open up the floor against Toronto's defense. But on the other hand, he needs he's going to have his work cut out defensively. As we know, Mirotic is in one of the greatest defenders in the world. So if Milwaukee's able to mask his defense defensive inefficiencies, I should say, it's going to be looking good. But the Raptors are going to have that mismatch with Miritich on the floor offensively for Toronto to exploit. And then on the flip side, my X factor for Toronto is going to be Danny Green. I just love the way Danny Green plays basketball on both ends, really knocked down the three. He shot the ball well throughout his career against the Bucks, even when he was with the Spurs. Obviously, we were talking about transition defense for Toronto earlier in the podcast and when you think of transition defense Danny Green might be one of the best defensive transition players in the history of basketball I mean his importance in that role cannot be understated I think he's just a guy that throughout his career has been slept on and you know at a moment's notice he can get going and he hits a few big threes for Toronto get the crowd in it who knows what the series is going to look like 
I think you have bringing yeah. up a really good point about Danny Green, actually, when especially with Nikola Mirotic, because I think defensively that's going to be one of the biggest question marks is what, I mean, Nico's starting game one, it's now been reported. So where are they going to throw him defensively? Um, you know, I've heard maybe Danny Green because of pick and rolls. You don't really want him in those. Um, but can Danny Green beat him off the bounce? More than likely every time he's going to do that. Um, so... I think that's another thing that's going to be interesting to see who Nico's going to guard because having Brooke and Nico out there, a um, little weary about it still. They seem to have figured it out against Boston, but um, who knows? Toronto could be another animal. I just hearing that from you know a Toronto Raptors writer's point of view, hearing that Nico Mirtich would be in the starting lineup as opposed to Malcolm Brogdon is a big sigh of relief for me personally, to be quite honest with you. And just as an aside, I'll say that, but to get to the Danny Green thing, Danny Green shot less than 30% against the 76ers. He shot like 33% against the Orlando Magic. Everyone that cheers for Toronto is waiting for that comeback to come to come around for his three-point shooting. And there's a lot that he brings to the Raptors' offense, and there's the spacing he brings that he wasn't able to provide against the 76ers. If that comes back, the Bucks it gets a lot harder for them to defend the Raptors. And like Andrew said, picking up in transition, being, you know, a more than, I guess, a larger than usual two guard, and also having his name in the hat of one of the best defensive guards of the past 25 years, there's a lot of things that Danny Green can do. And I, yeah, that's another good X factor, I would say. Um. What are some key stats key, key stats in the box score you think are going to matter? Um, you know, like in the Celtics series, clearly for the Bucks, it was points in the paint. Um, I didn't really look at the box scores. I can't lie for Toronto and uh, the 76ers. But what do you think are some big numbers that are going to stand out for the series? Oh, man. I think that one, like this sounds overly simplistic, but the Raptors in a lot of games, they shot sub 30% on the wide open threes. And sub-30% on wide-open threes is actually really tragic. That's, that's terrible. One thing that is usually very important in box scores, offensive rebounding, I don't think that'll be important for Milwaukee, and I don't think it'll be important for the Raptors. Like we've been talking about, it, it's something that the Raptors will have to focus on to slow down the Bucks in transition, and that likely means they won't be pressing the offensive glass as much. And you take into account that Milwaukee was the best team in the league at cleaning their own defensive glass all year. And that Milwaukee isn't a particularly great offensive rebounding team. I don't expect offensive rebounds to be a huge part of this series. I know you asked for something that was going to be a big eye-popping thing, and I'm going for the inverse. But and, and it's a boring answer to say that the Raptors have to make more open looks. But that's been the crux of these playoffs so far is Kawhi Leonard has a ton of gravity, and the Raptors haven't been able to make anything off of it. Whereas the Bucks have, like I talked about with the podcast I did with Andrew, the Bucks have done a pretty good job of making shots off of Giannis. So looking for a little bit for the Raptors to meet in the middle so the series can even out, things of that nature. As far as like box score hunting, you know, it just, there's not that much value in the box score. That's like the, the only thing I would um, bring from the box score, a holdover from the 76 Raptors series is, Joel Embiid had like an ungodly plus 90 in seven games. And they were like minus like 109 in the like 90 minutes. He wasn't on the floor. And 
I guess, just try and make sure that Giannis doesn't have as monstrous a plus-minus variation, something like that. Well, you look at – go ahead, Andrew. Sorry. Yeah, I just want to say for me an important factor. It's not what what pops up in the box score, but for me it's going to be deflections. Milwaukee is able to keep active on defense with their hands, create some deflections, get out in transition where, you know, that's their bread and butter right there. It's really hard to stop Milwaukee in transition. So if they can get that going, then, you know, it's going to be it's going to be an uphill battle for Toronto. Why do I feel like it's going to be an uphill battle for Toronto? Is that just how good the Bucks are? I mean, because I was talking to Andrew before the podcast, and I'm like, the Toronto Raptors have been right there with, like, for people that can't see what I'm doing, I'm holding my hands at equal length, uh, equal height, and they've been right there with Milwaukee this whole season, um, you know, two games back. Is Toronto just running into a historically great team? Because I think Toronto is a fantastic team. I'm Obviously, to get to the conference finals, you have to be. Um, I never really liked Blake Griffin or DeAndre Jordan. I've always really liked Chris Paul. The Clippers team that he led were really great teams and nothing ever, they didn't win a title. They didn't even make the conference finals. Sometimes you run into really good teams. Unfortunately for Chris Paul, he ran into the, the start of these, these terrific warriors. Giannis, how old is he? 25, 26? 24. The Jesus Christ. <laughs> <Yes>. uh, <laughs> That's what they all say. <laughs> the Raptors are running into Giannis just as he's they, – they were stuck with LeBron through his prime, like from age 28 to age 32, and now they're just getting like catching the start of Giannis's probably seven, eight-year prime for him. And as far as a Raptors fan and like the, the confidence that you feel as a Bucks fan, when I did the round table – for our website, when I had Andrew on the pod, I'm predicting Bucks and six, and I'm a Raptors writer. I would love to say Raps and seven or Raps and six, but the Bucks are damn good at what they do, and it's you just have to wait to see how the series is going to shake out. You know, everything like as a Raptors fan after Game One, everything felt good. It felt like the Raptors had all the tools to punish the 76ers, but then you know things change. Sometimes shots don't drop the same way. As it stands right now, though, the Bucks have a lot of advantages. They have more depth. They shoot the ball better. Giannis is a different type of superstar than Kawhi is, even if, you know, I guess the, the general public rates them as equal. This series will go a long way in deciding who, who's above the other one. But the Bucks just have a lot more going for them right now. And if that's about the disparity between the 76ers and Boston, then that means that this series will likely be a lot more competitive than we're speaking about it as right now. If Milwaukee is just this ungodly, monstrous freight train that completely decimated a Boston team that might have taken, let's say, the Raptors or Philly to seven, and they did in five with little effort, then that's just what Milwaukee is. And if Milwaukee completely wipes the floor with Toronto, then maybe they are a historically good team, and maybe they can't even beat a Golden State team. There's, there's a lot up in the air for this Milwaukee team, and that's the thing about having teams that are unproven, I guess. But they've made a, they've made a leap this year, and the, the confidence so far is definitely deserved from your guys' end. Do, do you guys trust Nick Nurse to make the right decisions um, in a conference final series? Do you, 
like from your, pers- I guess, from the fan perspective and the writing perspective, uh, do you think that he's going to be able to make the correct adjustments if need be, or do you think he's going to be kind of riding on Kawhi's t- coattails a little bit? Um, I had qualms. I wrote about it quite frequently during the, I guess, Eastern Conference semis. Nick Nurse, there were a lot of things that Raptors fans were asking for him to do, that pundits were asking for him to do, that he ended up doing in Game 7, and the Raptors won because of it, and a bit of stroke of genius to play Serge Ibaka at the 4 and Gasol at the 5, which those minutes were very useful for the Raptors from Games 4 through 7. Things of that nature, are those are good coaching decisions. Having Fred Van Vliet occupy a good deal of the Raptors' offense as a creator bad idea he's much better as an off-ball guard think of like Steph Curry playing next to Jarrett Jack just not as good a shooter things of that nature you want him bouncing around coming off pin downs running off curls things like that and you know Nick Nurse he's delegated a lot of the offense over to him which is is something I'm not a fan of is I guess reluctance to match Gasol to Embiid until game seven was something else I'm not a fan of but overall, I, I'm fine with how he coached in the Eastern Conference semis. And, you know, this is the biggest test because the Raptors were a better team than Philly, I think it's fair to say. But we're speaking about it right now. The optics seem to indicate that the Raptors aren't a better team than Milwaukee. And he coached his team to beat the team he was better than. And now he has a chance to coach his team to beat a team that perhaps they're not as good as. And that's, that's the barometer for any coach, really, is Greg Popovich, for a long time in his career, he beat teams he was supposed to beat. And every once in a while, he beat a team, all of the heat, that he wasn't supposed to beat. But things, like, things like that happen to coaches. But, you know, Nick Nurse, this is the test. I'm fine with what he's done so far. So, you know, we're spoiled here because not only do we get the two best teams playing against each other for a shot to the NBA Finals, but you also get... Giannis versus Kawhi, two of the most transcendent talents that we've seen in the last few decades. So I wanted to ask you, I already know your prediction, but I'm going to ask you again, how do you think this series is going to play out? Well, yeah, it's a bit cowardly, but I, I said to you, as if the Raptors shoot the same percentage from downtown that they shot during the regular season, then, then the series gets exciting. Then I could see either team grabbing it in game seven, and I'd love to just lean in and say, you know, Raps in seven. Realistically, I think the Bucks are very good and that they'll take this thing in six. And, you know, as heartbreaking as it would be to see Giannis close it out at the Scotiabank Arena, just to see Drake heartbroken, it would, it would be a little bit better for me, something like that. But, yeah, I think it's Bucks in six, which is unfortunate, but that seems to be my take. Brandon, Just- Brandon Jennings running through your blood. It makes sense. I mean, it's hard <laughs> it's hard not to hop on that train. Um, yeah, I think I'd have to agree with you. I think games one and two are really important in this series. Um, you know, if Toronto can come in and steal a game, I, I don't think that the Bucks are going to go and run them like they did the Celtics uh, to get back into the series. So if the Toronto can do that, that's going to be huge. Um and then it's like, all right, well, then the Bucks at that point have to win two games in Toronto to win in six. So do you think the Bucks can win two games in Toronto if, you, you know, if the Raptors win one in Milwaukee? I think so. I'm not 100% on that, but it would def- certainly make things tougher. Um, so winning those first two games are going to be big. I'm sure Pfizer Forum will be um, 
you know, pumped for it and playing in the Air Canada Center is no joke either. Um, so yeah, I I I'll say Bucks and Six as well. Um, but those first two games are important for me. I don't know. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go a little different. I'm gonna go Bucks and five. I think the big deciding factor here is gonna be. See, I was trying not to go there, but since you already said it, I think the disparity between the two teams when you look at their depth is Milwaukee's just getting this abundance of production from Pat Connaughton and George Hill, and you have guys on Toronto really struggling, even though they are proven basketball players like Fred Van Fleet. So it's one thing to go into uh, Milwaukee and beat the Bucks on the road. It's just it's not really going to happen if you're going to play hero ball and rely on Kawhi Leonard to do all the heavy lifting, like Dylan was saying earlier. You're just playing into Milwaukee's hands. But you know it's in Bucks in five, but I think all these games are going to be decided within single digits. Wow, that's that's, uh, that's a bold statement. That's pretty so fair. So I I don't know if you can really say a gentlemen sweep being competitive but i mean all games are decided by less than single digits i i can't i consider that damn competitive that's so you expect the bucks to be much better at closing out games than the raptors do basically yeah i mean, i just i believe having Giannis down there he just he just demands so so much attention that you know you can overload on him and pack the paint but then again you know samson you and i talked about this on the podcast yesterday that you know, you overload on him, then you're just going to leave a shooter one pass away that's going to be open. So really have to pick your poison there. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I think we're really far away, even though our predictions are only one game off. My prediction comes with the caveat that the Bucks would probably blow at the Raptors a couple of times because the three-point variation will just kick him in the ass. But I think in close games, the Raptors are generally a pretty good team. So if the games are that close, I think if the games are close, the Raptors have a good chance. But I, the games that the Raptors lose, I think they're going to get absolutely demolished in some of them. Well, look at what look at what's happened in, in the Celtics series when Milwaukee played. It's that third quarter. It's that you know six, six or seven minutes in the third quarter to like nine minutes in the fourth quarter, and that's where they separate the games. People were saying, you know, oh, well, Kyrie Irving's such a great closer. That's why I'm picking the Celtics, and I'm like. Well, if they're down 20, what does it matter? <laughs> you know yeah. what I'm saying? So I think it's if the Raptors can or the Bucks or whoever is in that third quarter can keep it within 10, you know, at that point with nine minutes to go, then you're going to be in those type of situations. But the Bucks, for some reason, have a weird instance of either doing really well or really poorly in that third quarter. So I think third quarters are going to be really important uh, for the length of the series as well. Yeah, there's a, a really large collinearity between really good third quarter teams and championship contenders as well. So whoever does better in the third quarter between the Bucks and Raptors, I assume it will be the Bucks because that's usually when starters ram heads against each other and the Bucks starting lineup is really great, even if I think that I would rather put Brogdon in instead of Meritage if our, you know, Budenholzer. But yeah, the third quarter, that run is more important than anything else. We've seen the Warriors end postseasons with that run. We've seen the Warriors dominate the last five years with that run. And, you know, the Bucks, the Bucks before Mike Boonholzer got here, their worst quarter in every single game was the third quarter. They'd always come flat, and that's when they would get punched in the mouth. So having that now where you're being the team that's coming out as the aggressor in the third quarter is definitely a nice change for sure. Yeah, no, I 
I go ahead. Yeah, I I'm all for it. I agree. Third quarters are muy importante. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, a lot of things up in the air. Game one will tell us a lot, and uh, no rash, no rash decisions. Anyone, Paul Pierce, shut your goddamn mouth. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to hear it. So is this going to mean that. if Toronto wins game one, Tracy McGrady is going to be on the jump? Like, oh man, this is over. It's over, man. Toronto's going to sweep. I don't. I truthfully <laughs> don't like people with all this Bucks confidence. It gives me a just a touch of anxiety in my soul. Oh like, yeah, absolutely. I, I would rather that be was- the underdog. I, you know, all season I was saying, "Damn, I wish people would talk about the Bucks." And now that they're talking about the Bucks, I'm like, "Please stop!" Just <laughs> I don't. I don't want any of that negative energy. On Twitter, I found that like Bucks fans have been very confident. It's like the same thing as Philadelphia fans were not confident, as I, I noticed before the Raptors 76 ers series, but the Bucks fans have been very confident. And the Raptors kind of, yeah, the Raptors seem to be a little bit despondent because we didn't, you know, thrash the 76ers. So we're kind of looking at Giannis like, well, he's not injured like Embiid was. He's not sick like Embiid was. <laughs> he might dunk on us like 12 times a game. And that's, that spells trouble. Bucks Twitter is aggressive. I'll tell you that much. When they Very. start getting, I mean, by the second quarter, when they have a couple Miller lights in them, it's it's pretty much over. <laughs> to be honest, you probably you probably want to stay off or hit that mute button pretty quick, you know. <laughs> but that's gonna do it for this edition of Bucking the Trend podcast. I'd like to thank Samson again for joining us. You can follow him on Twitter at Sam Folk. That is at S A M F O L K K. You can catch his great stuff on raptorsrepublic.com. Don't forget, this man is covering the Toronto Raptors all the way down in Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. So keep up the great work, Samson. <laughs> yeah, also, uh, caveat, I will. you'll never see me complain about refing on Twitter, so I won't aggravate any Bucks fans who see my comments on there. There are strictly no refing uh, takes.